today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. because it's not Israel's battle and in the same way it's not your battle and my battle whenever we enter into these spiritual things it seems like we are being overrun by the things of the enemy please church please remember the battle is not yours it is the Lord's battle and all you need to do is to be in a place in a position in a situation in your life where he can come and fight that battle for you The Lord assured the Israelites that the battles they would fight would not be their battles. He promised He would fight for them. They would be His battles. But what about our battles? In today's message, Pastor David encourages us to remember that the battles we face are not our battles any more than the Israel's battles were theirs. Just as God fought for Israel, He will fight for us as well. God promised He would never leave us or forsake us, least of all in the midst of a spiritual battle. Are you trusting God to fight your battles for you? Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Victory is Ours, But the Battle Never Ends. babies a year uh, because of legalized abortion. And now, again, your, your head would have to be in the sand to have missed all the stuff that's going through Planned Parenthood. The harvesting of babies' organs to sell on the market. Uh, this stuff, again, has, has been financed by our government, financed by a huge amount of major corporations in our nation that have helped finance Planned Parenthood. Uh, again, these abortion factories that they have, and that continues to go on. We look at the rise, again, of the homosexual agenda within our nation, and we see, again, the very things that God says, this is what these people are doing. You don't do that because I'm going to destroy those people, and I'm going to bless you when you go in the land. So don't start doing that when you go into the land. And every other kind of perversion that they were doing, and some of it they were even doing in the form of worship. And then we get to this, these spiritists, these conjuring up of spells, these that, that call upon the dead. I, I look at these things, I think, man, all these things that God said he was going to destroy the people of Canaan, totally wipe them out completely. And how much we are involved in these things as a nation. Is the grace of God on us? Oh, if it wasn't, we would be totally wiped out by now. The grace of God is still here. Why? I believe it's because there are people that are praying. 
There are people that are praying that are desiring to live righteous and godly lives. There are people who are desiring to see the glory of God in our nation. But beloved, how many does it take? Remember Abraham's argument with the, with the messengers of God when they came to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, would you destroy it for 50 people? No, we won't destroy it for 50. But Abraham probably knew, hey, you know, there's probably not even 50. And so he kept bargaining down, kept bargaining down. Because he knew there wasn't that many. How many within our nation today? You know, you can look at all kinds of Pew research and uh, all these kinds of things, these people that take these censuses and things and say, well, how many believers are there in the United States? How many uh, evangelical Christians? How many who say that they are, you know, Christian or they, they say that they're religious? And the numbers are all over the map. They're all over the map. I, I don't look at the numbers... I look at the fruit. I look at the results of what's going on in our nation and in our communities. And you know that the influence of the Christian community is getting less and less. And I believe that as the influence of the Christian community becomes less and less, more and more Christians are afraid to take stands for righteousness. Because right now, if you take a stand for righteousness, they'll come take your business away. Then they'll fine you for $135,000. Then they'll put a gag order on you. So there are righteous people here within the land. I know that, because otherwise we would totally be gone. But when we look back at Canaan, we understand that there were no righteous, that that entire land had just literally become void of God. How many generations would it take for us as a nation to become that way? I think only one more. I've seen so much change just in my 62 years. Not that we were holy and righteous back in the 50s. I know that we weren't. But it was a whole lot different there. And there was a whole lot more, again, I think people that were just doing the right things and trying to honor God. Let's look at the word. Enough of my soapbox here for a moment. With the understanding of the vileness of the people there in Canaan, let's look at this chapter 11 of Joshua. Chapter 11 of Joshua, the Lord's now bringing uh, the children of Israel into this land. They, they've come in, they defeated in the center area pretty good. They've literally cut the nation in half, and now they're going to continue on through the northern area. They defeated the southern kingdoms. Now they're going to start defeating up in the northern area. Verse 1 of chapter 11 of Joshua. And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazar, heard these things. Well, what was he hearing? He was hearing that, again, uh, all of the defeats of the kings of the south and how Israel was just coming in and just, man, just going right over and totally wiping out these nations. How God was working supernaturally, killing more men with hailstones than with the sword of Israel. I would be worried, too, if I was in that northern kingdom, uh, that, again, this, this nation that's out here cleaning uh, cleaning the table out here, man, they're coming this way. So he heard these things, and so he sent to Jobab, king of Maiden, and to the king of Shemron, to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were from the north, in the mountains, and in the plains of uh, Kinneroth, in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor, to the west, to the Canaanites, to the east, and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Jebusite, in the mountains, and the Hivite below Mount Hermon, and in the land of Mitzvah. Wow. He's, he's like calling everybody together. He's not going after four other kings. 
He's calling everybody. He's probably calling his enemies together. He says, you know what? You and I have been enemies for generation after generation, but unless we form this little deal, we're going to be totally destroyed. Again, uh, he's pulling all of these guys together. Here, Joshua is moving the troops to that north after all these great victories in the southern region. Now they're coming up, and they're going to come up. What really we're going to see is a greater, more formidable foe than even the ones that they had fought in the south. Jabin had now had time to rally around all of these other surrounding kingdoms to the north. It would appear as though there were about 12 to 13 different kings or or regions that he pulls together uh, against the armies of Israel. How many total? Well, look at what verse 4 says. So they went out, they and all of their armies, this is Jabin and all the northern kingdoms, says, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. As many people as the sand that's on the seashore in multitude, with many horses and chariots. So, how many were there? There was a bunch. Okay, There was more than Israel had. There was more physical uh, warriors there than what Israel had. Plus... They had horses and chariots. This is the first time that we see horses and chariots entering into these battles that Israel is fighting against. Oh, we know that they had chariots down in Egypt, but this is the first time here as they go into Canaan to conquer that land. It's interesting. It's times like this when the enemy comes in like a wave. When the enemy comes in like a flood, much, much more than Israel in the physical realm could have ever handled. I mean... Multitude upon multitude, more than the sand on the seashore with many horses and chariots. We don't know how many for sure Israel had, but I don't believe they had even close to that many. I love what Isaiah the prophet declares in Isaiah fifty nine nineteen. He says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. You see, because it's not Israel's battle. And in the same way, it's not your battle and my battle. Whenever we enter into these spiritual things, it seems like we are being overrun by the things of the enemy. Please, church, please remember, the battle is not yours. It is the Lord's battle. And all you need to do is to be in a place, in a position, in a situation in your life where he can come and fight that battle for you. God had told Israel as they entered into that land, don't put your trust in horses and chariots. Why? Because, again, they would not be trusting in God. I think we're probably right now, if Joshua or some of the men of Israel were like most of us, you look across the way, and, man, they've got all these horses and all these chariots. You're probably saying, I wish I had a horse and a chariot. Uh, but God said, no, don't, don't put your trust in that. Know that I'm going to take care of this for you. It was then, and it is even now. The Spirit of the Lord is our defense our strong defense. And so now we find Joshua in verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord is now going to come down against these kings. And when the Spirit of the Lord comes, it just doesn't matter what the enemy has. It does not matter how powerful the enemy is. It doesn't matter how huge the situation is. When the Spirit of the Lord comes in, beloved, the victory is his. 
and we get to come along for the ride. Verse 6, the Lord said to Joshua, Don't be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I'll deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Now, at that point in time, you ought to be excited. You and I, as we read this and as we see, as as formidable a foe, as huge of an army, as powerful as those horses and the chariots were, God comes to Joshua and he says, look, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. By this time tomorrow, eh, you're going to hamstring the horses. You're going to be roasting marshmallows over their chariots. It's not as big a deal as you and I would make it. Why? Because we only see in this realm, don't we? The issues that we come against, we only see in this realm. We don't see it from the from the plane of heaven. We don't see it from the vantage point of eternity. But God does. So Joshua and all the people of war, verse 7, all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Miram, and they attacked them. Now that in itself is powerful. The army of Israel went against them. This multitude of men, more than the sand on the seashore, with all of their horses and their chariots. Israel said, well, you know what? If God's fighting this thing for us, let's do it. And they went forward. They attacked them. And I'm sure it probably put them back, uh, put the, the Canaanites back quite a bit. Verse 8 says, And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them, and chased them to the greater Sidon, to the brook of Mishraphoth and to the valley of Mitzvah eastward. They attacked them until they left none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. The Lord allowed Joshua and the army of Israel to defeat that main portion of the enemy's army. Understand, this is only the main portion. The victory was theirs, but the battle continues. And that's something that you and I need to understand, too. That as believers, the victory is ours, though battles may continue. Every day, in many moments of every day, we're going to have battles. But understand, the victory is ours. The foe is a defeated foe, and we see that even here. Now, Joshua and the armies of Israel, they're going to turn back. And they're going to start taking the cities of of these kings and destroying the cities. Verse 10 says, Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazar and struck its king with the sword. For Hazar was formerly the head of all these kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. And then he burned Hazar with fire. Verse 12, so all the cities of these kings and all their kings... Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. Hazor was a major city. Like they said, they were like the kingdom of over all these other ones. Probably a great city, a powerful city. That's why Jabin had the influence of being able to come and say, hey, you guys need to rally around me as we come against. He was a leader. They were a leading city. Archaeologists attest to the fact that the city actually existed. It existed during not only the time of Joshua, but even prior to that. And it had been rebuilt upon many times. 
And right now its location is, is marked by a huge mound where you can see where the city was, 200 acres in area. It's located to the uh, south or to the north, I'm sorry, to the north of the Sea of Galilee, about eight miles. That city was there. It's no longer there. It's been destroyed. There's archaeological evidence even that the, that the city at, at one time had been burnt to the ground. And as they've done the test and look at all the evidence, they, they say that it was about the time of Joshua during one of the times that that city was burned. It's interesting. There's no doubt about it that the army of Israel, they were a fierce, fierce fighting machine. And they still are today. I mean, Israel is one of the most powerful fighting machines, fighting nations in the world. It's amazing to look, even today, modern-day history uh, for Israel, when they come to fight against bigger foes, they still win. They still win. Ever since their foundation or their forming, again, their reestablishment in 1948, again, even right as they were announced as a, as a nation, the Arab nations around them came in to attack them, to destroy them. Even before they got there, you know, they were still an infant. They, they weren't even walking yet. And the enemies all around them came in to destroy them. And yet God supernaturally worked through this brand new nation to, well, let's just say they kicked tail. All these Arab nations, not only did they defeat all these Arab nations, but then they were able actually to secure land beyond what the Belfort Agreement had given them. And you know, the really crazy thing is after they defeated all of the enemy, then they gave some of that land back to them, said, now don't do this anymore. Okay, now behave yourself and we'll live in peace. Absolutely mind boggling. To imagine this little nation taking on all of these giants of nations, and they continue to remain victorious today. They have nations coming against them quite often, even today. But there have been some major wars through the years to go in and to defeat Israel. And yet, God supernaturally continues to protect this nation. God and God alone deserves the credit and the praise for the victories and even for their very existence. That was true in Joshua's time. That's true today. And beloved, America needs to understand that that's true for us. The victories that we've won, even as a nation, well, are we big and powerful and strong? We have been in the past big and powerful and strong. But for God... I think that there would have been a whole lot worse that's going on for our nation. God went before Joshua and the army of Israel, gave them victory after victory after victory, and to the victor go the spoils. Verse 14 says that all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them and left none breathing. It's interesting how powerful this is, that God gave them the blessing of their obedience. God gave them the blessing of being the victor, and yet God was the one that had done it all for them to begin with. The remainder of the chapter is simply kind of a a recounting of, of the battle campaign, except for one particular account in reference to some folks called the Anakim, but we'll look at that in just a moment. Verse 15. 
As the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halak and the ascent of Seir, even as far as Baal Gad to the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings, struck them down, and killed them. Verse 18, Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, except the Hivites, those inhabitants of Gibeon. All the others they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. Well, that's pretty harsh. No, they had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent. And they continued just to spiral worse and worse and worse. The campaign to the southern portion uh, took them uh, a couple of weeks to perhaps maybe a couple of months as far as uh, the historians and those that figure out those things. But that northern kingdom, the northern campaign, the stronger kings, more territory, more mountainous, those areas, it took much longer for them to complete. As it says, Joshua made war a long time. Some people say it might have taken him two years. Others say five years. Josephus, a uh, Jewish historian, says that it took him five years. There's other rabbis that say, no, it probably took him eight years to get all of that land, again, uh, secure for them to live there. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. And even then, it wasn't over. Not completely. There was still an old enemy. The one that scared them from entering the promised land 40 years ago. Remember what they said when they came back, when the 12 spies came back? Says, oh, it's a beautiful land. Oh, it is flowing with milk and honey. Oh, there's great produce in the land. But you ought to see these walled cities. They've got these massive walled cities. You know, these mighty fighting men. And they've got giants. There's giants in that land. And we look like grasshoppers to their sight. What was the first battle that they had? Those mighty walled cities. Jericho fell. God caused Jericho to fall. Now they're going to come against those giants. And I wonder, within the hearts and the minds of this, the army there, if they thought, wow, I remember stories of these. And for 40 years we've been hearing stories about these giants. Now we're going to go against them. I believe that they were going with a whole different attitude than they had 40 years ago. Number one, the army had seen Jericho fall. The army had seen the sin at Ai and how God allowed them to be defeated, but then how God came back and gave them the victory. The army now had seen the defeat of all the cities of the south. The army had now seen the defeat of this massive, massive army to the north with all of their horses and their chariots. Do you think they got a little bit more bold? Do you think they got a little bit more trusting in the Lord? Do you think that their faith might have been pumped up a little bit more? 
I do. I think that every time that you and I see a victory in our lives, it increases our faith just as it should. That's why it's important for us, again, with Christian brothers and sisters to hear, man, what is God doing in your life? I need to be encouraged because right now I'm going through a whole lot in my life, and maybe the encouragement I hear from you will encourage me, or maybe what God is doing in my life might encourage you. These guys had seen God move over and over and over. Now verse 21, and at that time, John Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities, and none of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. But yet, some did remain. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the book of Joshua next time. Now, we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you Anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now, here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting the open word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. Thanks, Tracy. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the book of Joshua. That's next time on The Open Word. It's more.